0: Welcome to the Urban Golf Podcast. We got a special guest today—the head coach of the UCLA Men's Golf Team, Derek Freeman, close friend, and you know, an awesome ally in, in, in the golf performance world. I got Leo Rooney here with me.
1: Yeah, and we uh, we started kind of a deeper relationship with Derek in 2017 when we started working with his team on the fitness side, primarily, and uh, we've had a, a great journey with the UCLA Men's Golf Team where we started training them at UGP helped them kind of create a, a, a stronger team culture and a scr- stronger team literally physically and it was awesome to hear about Derek's background as a coach I mean very very successful early on interesting stories when he was coaching Anthony Kim so a lot of a lot of anecdotes in this one
0: yeah and, and actually something um, I really loved about it is how he you know gave up his career after he you know, he played college golf at Oklahoma and then went and became a financial advisor and then left left advising to go into coaching and for no pay. And then went through the grind and then ended up becoming an assistant for nothing. And then sort of landed the head coaching job at UCLA in, in, in sort of a windfall lucky way. And then the next year they win the national championship in two thousand and seven, I think. So it's been he's you know, he's had some of the best talent come through that program and he's got a really good stud junior golfer on his hands and his boy. Um, That's probably going to be a really top-tier D1 player. So Coach is a a really great guy and and someone to learn a lot from the game, and I really enjoyed this episode.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, there obviously some luck involved, but he also immediately had success with his first couple teams and therefore uh, got this opportunity, well-deserved. So uh, uh, many years of success in college golf, and now, uh, you know, on the up and up with, with the UCLA team with a lot of talented players like Devin Bling who got second in the USM last year and things like that so it was great to hear his process and how he ended up at UCLA and so it's an interesting story for any college player and anybody that that loves college golf and the the journey that that they go on as players.
0: Yeah I hope everyone enjoys this episode it was uh it's great whether you're a Bruin or a Trojan you're going to get a lot out of this so enjoy the Urban Golf Podcast everybody.
1: Why don't we start kind of where, how did you get into coaching and, and how do you look at coaching now versus when you started?
2: Right. It's a great story. You know, when I started to get into coaching, I played college golf at University of Oklahoma and had a great, even prior to that, had a great high school coach, a guy by the name of Mike McGraw, who coached at Oklahoma State for a little bit, won a national championship there. Now he's a head coach at Baylor. And that was at Edmond High School there in Oklahoma. Then I went to got a scholarship to OU and played college golf there, had Greg Gross as my coach. And I learned a lot from both of them, just good and bad, right? as As any player does, you nitpick what coaches do and what they say. And and how they do things. But in both situations, I was a captain and had close relationships with the coaches. And so I was probably privy to some conversations about coaching early on, why coaches make decisions uh, the way they do and what they're, you know, what they're about and the philosophy behind those things. And so in the back of my mind, I always thought, you know, this is I could see myself being a coach, but as as life goes, you know, I turned when I graduated. Played professional golf for a little bit, not really much success. I mean, I played on the Canadian tour, played on the what's the Hogan, what's now the what?
1: Corn Ferry Tour.
2: Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. changed so many so many names. Corn Ferry Tour now. Yeah, it's the Hogan Tour back then. And then when I was up in Canada, I broke a rib. I was just training really hard, not not doing ugp workouts not taking care of the things that i need to take care of my body wise but i was really really swinging hard and fast cracked a rib up in my upper right rib cage and so i came back home doctor said you know you're going to be out for at least a year this takes a long long time to heal you can't do anything so i went to work with my father who is uh in investments and so I worked with him and, you know, from a young age, he was in the investment world. So I learned about trading and stocks and bonds and investments and always loved it. But when I got into that realm with him, what I actually realized is, is you're really not making a difference in the world. You're helping. For the most part, wealthy people, you know, protect their wealth or or obtain more wealth. and so it just didn't it just wasn't there for me. I just didn't en- enjoy it. I loved the pay. I love making the money, but I just I just didn't feel like that was uh, where I wanted to be in life and so mm-hmm. How long did you uh, do that for? I did that for UBS Paine Webber. And how many years? Uh I was there probably 3 years. Okay. 3 or 4 years? Yeah. So I just been married a couple of years. We had our first son and I had a really close friend. We would go to lunch every week and just bounce ideas off of, you know, where life is, what are we looking for? What's going on? Just an accountability person that, that you know, to this day, I just uh, cherish and love spending time with him. And he really talked about, you know, the one thing that I always see that you get excited about is, you know, you talking about, Going back and coaching. And I I really hadn't thought about it in a long time until he mentioned that. And so it kind of spurred something in my soul and my heart about maybe this is maybe that is something that I really would like to do. So, you know, over the course of about six months, spent some time uh, obviously talking with my wife about it. And she said, you know, let's go for it. So, this was in uh, 2002. And there were, there were, this was actually 2003. It's it's not easy to get a golf coaching job. And so I decided that I'm gonna do whatever I can to get into the industry. So I called, you know, all the old coaches that I knew and all my contacts and, you know, I'd been out for so long and a small little NAIA school by the name of Oklahoma City University allowed me to become the assistant golf coach for the men and women, but they wouldn't pay me. But they would allow me to raise money to help pay for my salary, but they would only allow, uh, allow me to raise $20,000. And they were going to keep uh, a percentage of that as well. So, you know, I was paying them to work for them, but, you know, I thought it gets me in the industry. It gets me into being a coach. And we had a one year old boy. And so, you know, we just cut all of our expenses, minimized everything we could, and just, you know, were fired up that I was gonna be a coach. And so here I was, the assistant coach um, on the men's and women's uh, golf program at NAIA school in Oklahoma City. And they had had, they'd started to have really good success. And so we just continued that. We won them national championship on the men's side that year we finished second on the women's side and then they decided to split the program and i became the head women's coach over the next 2 years and we won the national championship my second year and we lost my first year and i was so upset and and so frustrated because i felt like we should have won that i just worked that team so hard and i tell you what those girls, they work much harder than any guy's team I've ever had in my life. We won the national championship by 49 shots Wow! that, that second year as head coach. Then I, um, Oklahoma. Is that some team, kind of
1: record that still stands? It,
2: well, yeah, it, it is. I mean, I, I checked then. I, was, I really wanted to get to 50 on that last hole. We were trying to get to 50. But, but it had been, um, you know, for a long time, for years and years, it, it was the largest, margin of victory in a national championship at any level, men or women. So University of Oklahoma came calling for me to become the the uh, assistant coach there. And that was when Anthony Kim was at, at Oklahoma. So I became the assistant coach back at my alma mater at University of Oklahoma. Anthony Kim was on that team. Mm. And, you know, obviously we've all read about what what he was like and, what type of player he was, and the the struggles that he had. But I tell you what, we had an incredible relationship. That kid was um, so talented, one of the most talented probably that I've ever had. And he was a huge competitor, and we just hit it off. and And so we we kind of did our own thing. The head coach had me kind of take care of him, and so we did our own thing, and hmm. the rest of the team did their own thing. But it was it was interesting to to watch how that. All unfolded, and then to see him have the success he did at the at the end of his time there at Oklahoma. Can I ask you real quick?
1: What, yeah, why did it click between you and and Anthony Kim? Do you think?
2: I think I just I wasn't trying to get anything from him. I think a lot of people. He always felt like someone's trying to have an angle. Someone's trying to do something. And I was just trying to be his buddy. You know, I I. Had, it was obvious his skill level was was as high as anyone in college, and he was going to go on to be a, a hugely successful professional. But at that point, you know, he had a really – he didn't have a bad attitude, but he just let things bother him and show he, his emotions were just going crazy so many times, you know, he'd throw clubs and break clubs and do things like that. So I tried to really help him with – look how you want to do everything you can in your life uh, when you're trying to be a professional golfer to maximize the free money. So you want to maximize things before you turn pro. So that means you want to look the part, you want to say the right things, you want to act the certain way. You've got to do those things. So sponsorship money will come to you before you even tee it up. And I think that struck a chord with him. He actually understood Hey, if I do these things the right way, money will come. What, what, what I can get and what I can maximize. So I don't know if anyone had talked to him like that before in a real sense. So, you know, we just hit it off and, and I pushed him and, you know, I can remember coming out here to the Southwestern, which is hosted by Pepperdine and it's a North Ranch here in, in Westlake village. And it was pouring down rain. It's in February, and it's just pouring down rain. And he goes out, and he, he wins the tournament seven, eight shots. I mean, just destroys the field. And then the very next tournament we have is in Houston. It's at the same golf course where they have the PGA tournament now. And he just got on a hot streak, and he won that tournament by – uh 9 or 10 shots something like that you know just so, uh, such a higher level than anyone else and so it was fun to watch and that once once he won those two events it was clear that he was on the on the verge of you know needing to turn pro and going to maximize everything he was doing so it was a really fun time spending time with him
1: Do you still have contact with him?
2: Yeah, I mean it it's probably every couple of years all of a sudden he'll text me out of nowhere or uh i'll see you know every once in a while someone will post some old picture of him and so i'll send it to him and give him a you know give him a funny uh, emoji or something like this so he's a really really good person very misunderstood publicly and and as i said as as talented as as the golf world will ever see just phenomenal.
1: I spoke to David Lipsky, who knows him well, and he. I I, I texted uh, a picture of. I think the PGA Tour posted a picture of Anthony Kim recently, and Rory McIlroy, and I can't, was it Butch Harmon or someone like that who who commented and said, you know, uh, such a talented guy. I wish you know he's back soon and i i sent that to lipsky and i th- i i, I want to say lipsky sent that to anthony and he said that he's starting to get the itch so hopefully yeah. he'll be back soon
2: <laughs> yeah it, it it would be it would be incredible i don't know that we'll ever see it you know just because of he was he was smart i mean he was very smart right he 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 took out um an insurance policy that that allowed him to not you know, if he got hurt, he would never have to play again. He'd be taken care of. And, you know, that a lot of people aren't going to do those type of things. You know, so. Um, is there some kind extreme.
1: of time limit on that or something like that? Or is it just going to be forever? You know,
2: I, I don't know the specifics of, of yeah. what it exactly was. It, there probably there probably is. Or I, I don't know if it's a lifetime, you know. You can't ever go back and play. So yeah, it, it's too bad because, you know, the golf the golf world needs guys like that that are energetic and fire up crowds and are exciting. And, and again, the skills are just, you know, out of this world.
0: He's definitely one of those guys that had an aura around him. I, I, I've competed against him in junior golf or tried to, or whatever, multiple junior worlds. And then AJJs, he was just, I mean, he won everything It'd just yeah, be like, we just go to the tournament and be like, there's Anthony. And so it's over. Yeah.
2: And you know, he walked around with his big belt buckle and, you know, just, <laughs> i mean just this unbelievable presence about him and it was intimidating it was intimidating to a lot of people i think it intimidated junior golfers definitely in college it did and and once he got on the tour and they actually realized you know how good he was it was intimidating i mean look, look what he did the Ryder cup mm-hmm. um, well, you know. and he and
0: he would say that coach do you say i mean i remember even from high school he would like win a tur- big tournament And, and then I'd hear him talking. He'd be like, I don't even really like golf, man. I'd much rather be playing basketball. I mean, like literally he would win and just like make fun of golf. Like he was, Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I think that's, I think that's why he probably struggled in a team setting, you know, even though he wanted, you know, Oklahoma to play well and, and wanted to have success there, you know, he was one of those special guys that that makes golfers who they are because really they're just concerned with themselves they're just trying to get better they're just trying to be the best that they can and anyone else that's not about that then they they really don't have time for Mm, um yep it's 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 an interesting, interesting dichotomy right for for a coach
0: and that transition for you coach from being, you know, cuz you were a player, you played professionally, you played collegially, you know, and then to go from I always find it interesting that transition to go from player to coach because then you go from like all you do is think about yourself to then you're thinking about all kinds of other people.
2: Yeah, it is and you know, it's interesting because so many of of players now it it didn't used to be this way, but now it's like well, you know, you didn't play on the tour, so you may not have the knowledge that I really need. You know, now it's probably even well, you didn't win a major, so you don't have the knowledge that I need. It's like, you know, just slow down. Just try to understand that um wisdom comes from experience. And while maybe I didn't win a green jacket or win the US Open or play on the PGA tour my experience gives me the wisdom to be able to help you and guide you and make you a better player. Mm -hmm. And so I think when they can, when they can take their fear cape off and they actually can try to understand that all my job is, is just to try to help them become the best version of who they can be. I think then you can actually start doing some good work. Yeah. So you're
1: assistant coach at Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma University. Anthony Kim. That's where. uh, What happened after that?
2: Yeah. So so I went on one recruiting trip when I was at Oklahoma, and it was down in somewhere in Alabama, and there were two coaches there. It was a UCLA coach, uh, Odie Vincent, and myself, and he was. I think he at that point he was following a kid named Philip Francis, um, who at that point was, you know, the next Tiger Woods, the best player, you know, won hundreds of events as a junior player. And the kid that I was following, they were in the same group. So, you know, I'm just an assistant at Oklahoma. Here's this UCLA coach. So, you know, I want to pick his brain. What's he doing? What's he looking for? How does he coach everything like that? So I, I, I offered to, Take him to dinner, you know, just to get to know him better. I'd heard a lot of good things about him. So we went to dinner that night, played some shuffleboard, had a few beers, had had a great time, and just really hit it off. And so, you know, we go back to, you know, he goes back to to LA and I go back to Oklahoma. And I call him later that spring, kind of early spring, and tell him, you know, I'm looking for something a little different than than being here at my alma mater. Um, you know, of anything on the West Coast that's gonna open up. And he said, you know, there's a there's a chance that we we might have something here at UCLA. So, you know, we go through the spring and and it works out. And I can remember um him calling me and saying, you know, this is yours if you would like it. And uh, you know, we are out the park is my wife and I, and and by that time we we had our second son who was not quite one. And we said, let's do it. Let's go to LA. I mean, here's how naive we were, you know, a gallon, a gallon of gas is, you know, a gallon of gas can't be that much, you know, milk's gotta be about the same. I mean, LA, yeah, I know it has got traffic, but it can't be, can't be that bad. You know, I don't know how long we'll be, but you know, we'll go out there. We'll make it just fine. So we come out here and, you know, we i started as the assistant coach on the, on the men's side at UCLA and i mean we just hit the ground running we just i'm recruiting a lot we're getting after it we had a really good team they probably underachieved you know that year we had a chance to to really do some good things and just didn't quite put it together but it was super fun obviously we had kevin chapel who was on that team he was a junior when when i was a uh, an assistant coach we had a kid named Lucas Lee who played on tour for a while and some other guys. Danny M was there who's on a European tour. So we had this we had the guys, we had the skills, you know, but guys just reached reached their potential at different points. So we we had that whole first year. I love it. And at the NCAA championship, just after after it's over, we're actually driving back to the uh airport and Odie Odie gives me a call and says hey duke uh, wants me to interview about coming out there so i'm thinking oh my gosh what does that mean for me i just came out here to to la and he ends up he ends up taking that job and getting that job and so you know i had been i had been over the last probably four years prior to that had started building, you know, my, my game plan, my business plan, my mission statement for who I am as a head coach and had all the different, you know, this is how practice will go. And this is how donor functions will go. And this is how we'll do qualifying. And I didn't know where that would be implemented at what school or at what time, but I just, it had been something that I'd been building and just, you know, things that I'd learned and taken from different coaches and different situations. And so when, you know, I felt like they tried to interview everybody in the world except me and I was the last guy and they finally let me interview, but I I was so prepared because I had been, you know, I'd been a head coach at a very small program, but I had everything planned out about how things were going to work and how situations would be. And they saw potential and, and I came in with the plan and that, you know, they were super Surprised and they loved it. I don't know that they had ever seen a coach have an actual business plan or a model of of how things are going to go. And is that set in stone? No, but it's just guiding principles about mm-hmm. how you'll do things. And so I felt like that was probably an edge that I had. And you no, know, they named me the head coach kind of uh, mid July after one year as being assistant. So hmm. that was the summer of two thousand and seven. That I became the head coach at UCLA. Mm.
1: How many years were you assistant uh, in Oklahoma?
2: One year assistant at Oklahoma.
1: Wow, so Uh, this is quick. Just yeah. So so
2: this is quick. Yeah, it was really quick. One year assistant Oklahoma, one year assistant at UCLA, and then now thirteen years head coach at UCLA. So, and that first year as head coach, you know, we had we had a great run. We had we had some adversity. Some that that happened. um, Kevin Chappell's, uh brother passed away early in the year, super sad situation, you know, just some different things like that, that you never want to see anybody go through. And so as a coach, you know, young coach trying to figure this out and trying to manage a great player like that, you know, he's one of the top players in college and trying to help him work through that situation. And then, and then to see him come back that spring and really lead the team we had an incredible spring and 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 tapped it all off with you know winning the national championship at Purdue. My first year as head coach at UCLA. That's amazing. I mean, this is
0: like so crazy the story and and I mean, first year as a head coach at a major university and you win a national championship and it you know just. Early success, but also, you know, showing a lot of grind. Your wife is, it must be amazing.
2: Oh, she is, uh, (laughs) she's, she's the best coach I've got. I mean, she is rock solid. And for her to be able to handle, you know, everything that, that we've gone through and moving and two babies, you know, and no help. And she just, she's awesome. I couldn't ask for anything better. Way out of my league. I can promise you that.
0: So coach talk about your, your first, that first year um, a little, a little bit more in detail and what it was like. Did you think, man, this is, I
2: guess this is the way it is. You just, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've got a, I've got a quick, funny story. And then I'll tell you about the year. So I, we win the national championship and we'll get back to campus. And at that point, our football coach was Rick Neuheisel. And he calls me and, and he says, look, you never want to win Your NCAA championship your first year because you can only go down from here. (laughs) So so, you know you're just trying to win, right? You want to win as many times as you can, and you never know when when you're going to get that opportunity. So as an assistant coach, there were things that, as any assistant coach does, you know there you see areas that you want to tweak or you want to change without drastically changing the look of the program I mean there was no need to do anything like that major because the foundation had been set Odie is a phenomenal golf coach a phenomenal person and I was very fortunate to to be able to work with him and for him to you know give me the opportunity to be the assistant coach and then and then trust me with with being the head coach after that what was the
0: foundation, sorry to interrupt, but what was the foundation? I know he introduced us, and I, I feel the same way. He's a great mentor to me and has been an awesome person in my life. But what was the foundation that the two of you guys set the year leading up to your first year as head coach? What what were some of the aspects of, of that foundation? Obviously, you had some great players, but what were you guys doing leading up to that year?
2: I think just, you know, it's all built on on hard work. It's all built on, you know, all of the things that you can do prior to getting to the golf course, the preparation, the understanding of what the goals are clear communication with what you're doing. And I think, I think a lot of times as, as young players, you can get lost in, I'm just playing another golf round. I'm just playing in another tournament. I'm just, I'm just out here at practice today and there's no focus on, on what you need to do. And so He'd built a great uh, foundation about teaching guys that, you know, today is very specific about what we're trying to do, what we're trying to teach. And, and we still do that to this day. There are very few days, unless it's an open practice where, you know, we're letting guys practice on whatever they feel like they need to. We have a very specific goal about what we're trying to do. And, and each guy may be a little different based on what we're seeing in his stats, what we're watching and things like that. So we do most of our work on the golf course. And that was something that was a little new to me when I was in college. I just, our golf course, our university golf course, wasn't any good, you know, as a public facility and and not in great shape. So we just hit a lot of golf balls and that's all, it's all I did all through school. You know, part of my time was, was I was trying to hit a thousand golf balls a day and So with that being my history, and then coming out to UCLA and learning that really developing your skills is done on the golf course, how you hit certain shots, why you make certain decisions, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? And so he opened my eyes to that. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really um, important in the development of young players, because the first thing that they'll do is they'll go to a range. They'll, they'll go hit golf balls and think that the swing needs to be fixed. And, and there's definitely a time and a place and importance of that. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay that, but when you're, when you're out trying to win a golf tournament or you're trying to play well, it's about what did you shoot? What did you score? And so you need to learn how to do those things really well and manage that really well for you to be successful.
0: Did you think, coach, that you were going to, you know, you take over as head coach to start the year off? Did did you have a feeling? Did you have that feeling that you were going to win a national championship that year in your first year?
2: No. Was that part of your goals? Or, yeah. Or, I mean, that what? was one of our goals. We knew we were going to be a good team. We knew we had the the ingredients, if you will, to be successful. You know, I can remember our very first team meeting. You know, I would never do it now. But our very first team meeting was probably three hours long, you know, PowerPoints going through step-by-step step of how things are going to go. Here I am, you know, first year head coach UCLA, and I'm so fired up. And, you know, today these guys would probably walk out on me if I had a meeting like that. But they sat there and most importantly probably was a chapel buying in and, and – him saying, you know, I believe in you. I believe in this. I believe in where we're going. You know, just lead us, lead us the right way, and we'll have an opportunity. And so, w- when you have a player like that that leads by example and and faces the adversity that he did that year, it's really, really helpful as a coach mm-hmm. um, because a you know a team can go against you for for reasons that you don't even know or you're aware of. So we knew we had everything ready to go and the guys, the guys had the skills and, and they were, they were good enough. It's just a matter of, could we do it at the right time? Could we, could we put it all together when it mattered?
0: Yeah. It seems too like star players like that. And you talk about Anthony Kim and Kevin Chappell and like both star players, but different kinds of people. And it's like how Chappie was like really kind of seemed like he really loved the concept of team and being coached and, and, and leading by example and, and lifting the team up seems like Anthony was sort of on his own path in some ways. that yeah, Right.
2: Yeah. I, I would say that's, that's an accurate statement. I mean, I mean, Chappie, he, and he wasn't afraid to, he wasn't afraid to let you know that, Hey, I don't agree with what, what's happening or I don't, I don't like what's going on or, you know, you, you know, why are you making this decision? So he pushed me in some really good ways early in my career. I've got a great story about him. We were, uh, there's a tournament in um, Augusta that you get to play on Saturday and Sunday prior to the Masters, and then and then you get a ticket to go to the Monday practice round, and it's a it's a great you know college tournament, super fun, a lot of good teams. So we we go play that year, and it's at a a place called Champions Retreat, it's a golf course outside of Augusta, and we are playing and and there's a lot of really good teams but at that point Georgia had a really good team they had uh Hudson Swafford and Brian Harman and Russell Henley and some guys like that that were really really good players and we were in their backyard right so they had this social function going on you know during the tournament and all of Georgia seemed to be out there about talking about how successful you know, these guys were, and their team was, and after the second, after the second round, I'm following Chapel for a little bit, and we're on the 18th hole, and it's where you, you have water all down the right, and you hit, hit your, I I don't, can't remember if it was an iron, or three wood, or something out there to the fairway, and then, and then the second shot onto the green, is a, and it is a tough shot, so he hits a shot, I'm with him on the tee, hits it into the fairway, and then I just kind of leave him alone and walk on ahead and go go up to the green where some of our players are already finished and he knocks his second shot in the water and you know not happy not a good shot obviously and uh, the only place you can't miss it and you know you can tell he's upset and so he comes off the green and he says hey don't walk away from me like that in the middle of play <laughs> He said, football coaches don't leave when plays are still going on, when there's still time on the clock. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. If you needed me, all you need to do is tell me to come back. I would have helped you. You can't just leave like that. And so I, you know, I, I said, hey, just because you made double and you hit it in the water, don't blame it on me because, because you did that. And so, you know, he he gets it off his system – I'm trying to figure out, Oh my gosh, what did I just do? You know, did I mess this kid up? Is he all mad at me now? And, and so we have lunch and he comes back and he says, he says, you know, I was just upset. I wish you would have been there. I said, I understand. All you got to do is let me know. I, 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 you know, you got to fill me in about how you're feeling about different things. So we came back that next day and won the tournament we shot 20 under that last round and beat these georgia guys and they were so upset and uh, that was one of the lowest rounds we've had as a team since i've been coaching i mean 20 under par for four guys is is difficult that's not easy to do and our drop score there was a two under wow (laughs) wow yeah we had a six under we had two five unders we had a four under and we had a two under I love that mentality
1: like seeing each hole as a as a match like you're it's game time when you hold out it's like a new new game waiting for you
2: that's right
0: coach I I, one thing I'm really curious about you know I I I went to IMG Academy I went to Leadbetter Academy down there in Bradenton and part of the reason for it was I was I was there in El Paso and you know, had, had a good, had some good, uh, resources around me, but really all, once you started getting to a certain level of golf and competing in AJJs, all you're thinking about is I got to go play division one golf. I mean, there was like no option. Otherwise, if I don't play for a top tier division one university, I'm a failure. And that was, that was a feeling that was cultivated amongst all my peers. We were on the ping. We would get the ping college golf guide hard copy back then. And we were just looking just nonstop on, you know, where our ranking was. And I remember being like, God, I got to go to IMG. And I got to be around, I like they'll put me somewhere, you know, they'll, they'll help me get to a, a better program and I already played in one junior world and had some, you know, coaches kind of hitting me up, but I, so much of these junior golfers and now, now reflecting now, you know, I played for a couple different programs for Colorado and for UTEP, but it's, you know, reflecting, looking back on my experience in college, I, I, I could, I had some offers some, from, from some division two schools, from some NAI schools and like, I, I look back on them like I could have gone a different route or you know there's different ways to do it, it didn't have to be just a top tier division one university to be successful and to continue my progress and development and you see these guys go to junior college and then they go play for division one afterwards let's talk about recruiting for a minute what what do you what what would you tell that young junior golfer that's you know starting to play well and starting to maybe win some tournaments and what, you know, how, how, how do you recruit? Who do you, what are you looking for as a, you know, UCLA program? And, you know, you coached women's NAA school to championship 49 stroke championship victory. You played for Oklahoma You had Anthony Kim, you've seen kind of it all and you were a player. So what are your thoughts on recruiting and, and what you're looking for? And then also to say, you know, I know you got a really good junior golfer in your house too. He's getting, he's thinking about things like that as well. So what, what are your thoughts on all of that?
2: I think that one of the most important things is that as a junior golfer you have to believe in yourself and it probably goes for any golfer right you've got to believe in yourself and you got to believe in your set of skills like no other and I think the tough part is that players want to get all the good things want to have all the success want to be at the top program and maybe not put in the work that's necessary to get there. And I think that's the dilemma that most junior golfers don't quite understand is they think I shot 72 and this kid shot 72 and he's, you know, he's the second best player on that team. So, so therefore they're comparable. I should be able to go, go play there. And that's just not how it works. I mean, for example, junior golf tournaments, right? The, the the length of the golf course isn't that long. Most of the whole locations are pretty much center of the green, maybe on close to some edges, but they're not college golf level. College golf is going to be tipped out it probably plays longer than, than a lot of PGA tour events. And the whole locations are three paces from the edge. And so a lot of junior players have never seen that type of thing. So they're used to, to being able to go after a pin, not have a lot of trouble, dump it in a bunker and be able to get up and down or short side themselves and be Okay. And that just doesn't exist in college. The, the golf courses are too good; they're too hard, and the skill set from everyone else that you're playing against won't do that. They won't make that mistake. And so, it's just about you know how much do you want to live on the edge? How 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 risky do you want to be? What are you, are you willing to take the kind of risk? That's, that can cost you, you know, a golf tournament. You know, it's it's funny because you'll see guys that will play a bad first nine holes of an event that takes them out of the entire tournament because of a couple bad decisions of what they've done. And, and because the fields are so good, you can't overcome those. There's too many people that aren't going to make those same mistakes. So I, I think the recruiting part of it is – College coaches are looking at everything. We're looking at what, what's their bag makeup? What does their bag look like? How do they treat their playing partners? Are they respectable to the starter? Do they pay attention to what's going on? Are they oblivious? Are they, you know, do they clean their clubs? Do they look at a whole location sheet? Do they, you know, the de- small details, because as you go up in levels of golf, the details are what make the difference between success and failure. Mm-hmm. so if, if you're not willing to take care of those small details, then your future success is limited. And so a, a lot of times, you know you'll get really good junior players who just kind of flame out because you know they're not willing to advance, they're not willing to get better, they're not willing to take instruction. And I don't mean swing instruction. I just mean, you know, learning how to prepare properly or learning how to play a practice round the right way. So as a college coach, you know, you're kind of watching everything. How do they treat their family? How do they treat their, you know, one of the things that I think really coaches are on now because of where we are with society, parents doing everything for junior players is definitely a turnoff. Mm -hmm. Coaches are are not interested in watching mom handle every single thing for this for this player. I was I was at a tournament this last summer and I watched this high school kid and I he had to be at least a junior or senior. And I watched his mom put sunscreen all over him, rub rub it in, rub rub it in his arms, his legs, his neck, his face, you know, and it's like is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. Is that the player that I want on my team? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Completely <laughs> independent know. person. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like what, what? What's that kid gonna do? What's that kid gonna do when he has to come to school and and you know do his laundry or Ho- or hopefully ask, find a, hopefully find a girlfriend that can rub his sunscreen. <laughs> right? the That's exactly right. I mean, and so. It's just those small little details. And I don't think parents pick up on that. I don't think they understand that we're watching that. I I will not recruit that player Mm -hmm. because of what I just watched. Mm. Coach,
0: are you you trying to find – are you trying to find – like when you're looking for putting a team together, are you looking at it sort of like a basketball coach or a football coach trying to find different sorts of players that fit in with each other? Or are you just looking at it on rankings and on their individual performances – are you trying to round a team out like where, look, this guy's the star. You got a Kevin Chappell and Anthony Kim. And then I got, I got these, these guys going down the ladder. And then I got this guy who's really going to be really good at pushing people forward. Might not be the best talented player, but do you round it out like that? Are you trying to find a dynamic that all works together?
2: I, I think I, I don't think you have enough knowledge to know what a player is going to bring to an actual team until they're there away from their family on campus with other players their age that are going through the same situations. I I think that's the very tough part. And if there's a coach that has figured that out, I would love to sit down and talk to him about that. I, I, I think, you know, there's no mystery in you want the best players that play the very best golf that shoot the lowest scores, right. That usually ends up being pretty good for a coach and for a team. Finding that is difficult and challenging because it you're you're one person away, you're one player away from causing chaos within your team, and our teams are so small, we're not football where you have a hundred guys, you know you have ten guys, you've got one you got one that causes issues i mean it could be it could cause a lot of problems, and so you have to do a good job of researching and understanding and, and talking to other people and watching situations and, you know, talking to them and just figuring out, are they going to be a fit here? Do, do they really, do they align with what we are and what we stand for in our program? Right. And, and those are the important things that we're trying to look for because at the end of the day, I spend a lot of time with these guys and, and, I want I I want to be around good guys, represent our university and our golf program in the proper way, and and when you don't have those things, then it just causes issues, and and it's not easy to find that you know it takes time and, and is a challenge to find those guys that you want.
0: And coach, you're on the other side now as a parent. You know, like you got a freshman, great. You know, Palmer's a really good golfer. He's he's you know he's you know looks like he's college bound as a as a player what what kind of conversations are you guys having being a coach and then saying like, you know, I, I remember talking to my dad, my dad's like, I got no idea. Like, he, <laughs> he's like, I don't fucking know. Just go to a good school that has good academics. I don't right. really care about golf. You know, it's like, it wasn't like, hey, this would be a good program for your golf development or this is proximity to your house. He's like, actually get as far away from your mom as possible and go to a good <laughs> academic program. That's what my dad's right, advice was. Right, right, And I'm like, I need more advice. That's you know, I need more advice than that. I need some guidance. I, I don't know if I want to be you know, I was getting recruited to New Mexico State University, to UTEP, and they're like, Ah, oh, thirty minutes from home. Yeah. I didn't really have any idea. Like, that's really why I went to IMG. I was like, I have no idea. I have options. I'm a good player. I'm winning tournaments. I'm getting recruited, but I was like, should I go to Denver? Should I go to New York? Should I? Where should I go? Like, what conversations are you guys having? And and yeah. as you guys, it
2: started with this with this high school golf career. Yeah, I mean, I tell Palmer I, first of all, I you know, it's interesting because you know his high school coach, I think is is very careful about how he handles Palmer. Right? He's like scared he's going to break him or something it's like, I, I've told him like, push him, make him, make him work. You know, he doesn't deserve anything. He's a freshman. He's, He's got to work hard and earn every single thing. You know, it, it. the only way he gets to be the number one player is if he deserves to be the number one player. Did he shoot the lowest score? Did he do the things that you needed th- to be necessary? He, be- he better be the first one there and he better be the last one to leave. And, and so unfortunately, probably for Palmer, my son is that, you know, he's got me as the coach that's really demanding a higher level than what other players are probably held to because, because I know as the, as a coach, what I would want and what I want to see. Um, He has to do more. He has to, he has to be at a higher level, but talking about schools and stuff like that, and I give this advice to every player and family that I sit down with is, you've got to find the right fit for you. You know, I mean, there's a lot, just like what you said, you had all these different options and thoughts and should I go here or there? It's like, you've got to, you've got to really sit down and think about what is it that I want? Don't just tell me you want to go to the best golf program because, because everyone wants that. That's that's surface. Do you, what do you want to study? Because the, the chances and opportunities for you to be a professional golfer are small. So therefore you better get something, uh, a good education that you understand that you can do something with in life. So you need to look at what do you want to study? What's the best place that I can go l- learn that skill and also play golf. Do I want to stay close to home? Do I want a big school? Do I want a small school? Do I want private, public? What division do I want? And and a lot of those things you may not know, you know, as a 16, 17, 18 year old, those are difficult questions and those are life questions. But I think you have to do your research. You you have to investigate what's this team about? What do they do? What's their philosophy? And the only way you do that is is by getting to know the the coach and the players. But I think everyone has a place. Everyone can find a place that works for them. And it could be a lot of different uh, scenarios and situations. The last time that I checked, everyone that was uh, a PGA Tour professional or played professional golf didn't go to UCLA or USC Mm -hmm. or Stanford or Oklahoma State or Georgia Tech. They come from everywhere. They come from small schools, private schools, NAIA division three, junior college. I mean, so, so if you're meant to make it, you'll make it.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like the high school coach's responsibility strong there? Because like my high school coach, I would say, wasn't that actively involved in, in helping me find those decisions. And like I said, my dad gave that advice. And so, you know, I was, that's why I was looking out outside of my circle. My high school coach was sort of like, nah, whatever. I don't really care. Just perform for me now. And then my dad would say go for the academics, but I, I see it being a former of a golf professional and having my having my six year old son. I'm there's so many different things I'm guiding him in that way. And you being a coach, like, what would you say to the to the junior golfers out there that might be listening that say they're high school coach? A lot of times they're not that great, and and their parents are sort of apathetic about it or maybe super pushy about it. What would you say? Where where are some resources? What do you recommend? Yeah, resources.
2: Well, for them? I would say I would say first of all. The high school coaches, rarely, rarely are you going to get a high school coach that actually has the skills to know anything about golf. You know, they they could be the football coach in the fall and, and now they get to play a little golf in high school, you know, behind the teams, you know, and drive the bus around. I was fortunate. I had a really smart coach and I can remember we were writing letters as as sophomores and juniors to all the coaches that we thought we, you know, where we wanted to go across the country, you know, and that was a long time ago. I don't think that stuff was being done. So the good part now is there's technology, right? You can go online and you can research all kinds of things. Uh, the 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 one thing that I tell, you know, the families is that it's not just going to happen you have to sell yourself and you have to understand what it is that makes you successful you know do you want to do you want a program that makes you play golf all the time or do you need a driving range and that's the skill set that you need to develop and 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 understand that those are different UCLA does it one way you know Colorado does it a different way right Florida does it a different way and so You've got to be able to to look at those things and talk to people and understand and read you know what's happening and what's going on. So you know there's there's some different groups out there. There's one here in Southern California, an old coach. he's not old. he actually played at UCLA and coached at USC, if you can believe it, Ted Gleason, who um, does that very thing, who just helps families guide them through the principles of where they should go to school and, and Mm -hmm. right. He's gone through it. He understands it. And, and he has no allegiance. He's just trying to help the families out. So guys like that are, are invaluable. I mean, so much money is spent on, you know, going to junior golf tournaments and traveling the family and doing this. I mean, the least you could do is spend a little money and have him help you. If nothing more, just, is this letter look okay? You know, Mm -hmm. is this the right thing that I need to be sending to coaches? Because as I tell, as I tell players who come in, you know, for camps at UCLA and families that I talk to, it's like, you know, there are, you know, 50 kids, let's say in there. So there are 50 of you in here and there are 50,000 that want the same thing that you do. So what's going to make me look at your letter and think, that that's interesting, or that's something that I want to investigate, versus someone else. And so, at the end of the day, it, you need to shoot the scores. Right. And if your if your level of uh, proficiency and your skill set in golf means you need to be talking to these certain schools, then that's who you need to be talking to. You know, too many times I think there's a there's a disparity between kids sending letters to golf programs that they have zero chance of ever going and then they get upset that you know they didn't they don't get a return email or return phone call or anything like that and it's like you know you the skill set's just not there you need to look for something that fits you and there's a place for you somewhere you can find it you just got to look
1: yeah no i think it's great we we know ted well and and that that work is so important like you're saying because I mean, I have friends from Sweden that ended up going to Augusta State and didn't play a tournament for in five years. Five years in college, didn't play a single tournament for the A team. So compare that to maybe, hey, let's choose an unknown school, Division Two, and thrive and thrive off your teammates in that environment. You know, it doesn't like you're saying PGA Tour. There's so many guys out there that comes from all over the name of the program might not matter as much as people think. And especially as much as, you know, junior thinks. Yeah.
2: It's just, you you can't sit on the sideline. Not not these, if your goal is to actually play professional golf, these four to five years are so critical now. I, I mean, what's happened now is, is you're expected to, Leave school, so the great players, leave school, you know, one to two, after one or two years, right, and go out on tour and win. I mean, how does Matt Wolf, Colin Murakawa win, right, when they just left school? So that's the skill level at the highest in college golf. These yeah. guys are winning PGA Tour events at 20. I don't think Matt Wolf was 21 yet, right? He was 20. So, so now all of a sudden you've got, you've got players that if they're not working on that skill set for that time period, yeah. it's not that they have lost their chance, but the odds are compounded so much against them. Because now you've got to compete against the guy who has been playing every single week in different events, different grasses, different tournaments, different locations, and learning those skills, and you're sitting at home.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. the 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 reps, uh, the competitive reps, cannot like you can't replace that, right? Like cannot replace you, it. You know, Colin is a great example. He played four years like Cal. Every single tournament, every amateur tournament that he went to in the summer, like every single shot is worth more than, you know, three months of practicing.
2: Absolutely. You, you know, when it comes to the psychology.
1: Right. And so I think, you know, you do you want to be number seven guy at a top program or a number two guy and a lower program? And I think that sir, that, that, choice from playing college golf at a small d2 school i think is is more clear to me now
2: i think you just can't replace what happens in competition right i mean even in qualifying it's not the same as we all know you guys have gone through it i've gone through it you know i have i've had great players play great in qualifying and then every single tournament they played bad (laughs) you know and it's like they're just they're not game the net game time players. And and then you have players that, you know, can't quite figure it out at home, but you get them in a tournament and they're going to play well. And so those are the guys you want. Right. And, and you've got to figure out how to maximize it on a team to, and that's part of my challenge, right? I've got to figure out how do I push my guys enough that everyone has an opportunity, a chance to play, but understand that my best players may not fit into that particular situation very well. And that's a, that's a fine line. I, I've i got to walk and, and figure that out. And you know, that's the fun part about coaching, right? Every situation is a little different and, yeah. and you got to figure out each year.
1: So coach, we've been working with you guys for about three years now how and obviously you've got it's ebbs and flows over the years since since the 08 season you've had some you guys have had some great success in the last 3 4 years what what are your take on, what, what's your take on what's happening in the last 3 4 years in your program
2: well in in terms of you know the what you guys have provided is i think a skill set that is missing for the most part at you at a university in the fact that you guys are sports specific about teaching skills and and how the body moves how to work it out properly how to how to have a proper warm-up cool down all the things that are necessary to be successful and I think for the most part, universities, especially back in the day, you know, they just kind of put you in front of some weights and said, lift weights and get stronger. And, and you know, you'll kind of work out. It'll, it'll be okay. Well, you have injury issues. It's not done the right way. The functional movement part isn't worked out. They don't Mm -hmm. understand how that works with golf. Our career as a golfer right we're not just managing those 4 years and maximizing some guy and 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 hoping that you know he can he can go make some touchdowns for us we've got to maximize these guys over the next 30 40 50 years of a career mm. so you got to be careful what you do to their body and i think if you can if you can instill the importance of of what you're doing so that it lasts them past them graduating and they under, they understand why they're doing what they're doing, I think then you've really set that person up to be successful mm. and given them the most opportunity and the best thing. So to me, I think having you guys help us has allowed our players to understand the importance of what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how it will help them as they move forward in their careers,
1: mm.
2: how important how important is that to team culture? I mean, I
0: just think like back to when I played for UTEP. I think we worked out with the women's volleyball team, which I wasn't too upset about, but that, <laughs> <laughs> that you know that also you know, that also necessarily wasn't great for team culture and for our focus and things like that. And so I guess like when it comes to you know I, I think there's a big part of it watching the program the last few years. It's like team culture. It's almost like a team behind a team, and it's like very specific.
2: Yeah, I, I think. I think when when your players are are watching each other go through the same thing and and they so so we know foundationally the importance of it. Right. So everyone's on that same page and now everyone's going through it together. So so you're able to have that bonding that's so critical for team success when they say, oh, do you remember when we had this challenge that morning? You remember what this player did. Remember what Eddie Lai did. You remember watching what Devin bling did in this, in this thing. So they're able to bond over that and they're able to talk about those things that I think is really important. And, and not just, not just for their bodies and their minds and their hearts and their souls, but just being around some fun guys that you want to spend time with. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that kind of goes back to what you're saying, Mac is, do I look for guys that will fit in? absolutely they have to they have to be able to fit in if they can't fit in it it doesn't matter how successful they are at some point it's going to cause an issue and 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 so you are trying to put the puzzle together you're trying to figure out how those pieces will work and sometimes you don't know and sometimes you make mistakes and and you hope that they're not so devastating that it can cause issues and then you just work your way through it i think i think that's that's the good part about it And I think, you know, watching your players develop and and continue to grow, um, not only as players, but uh, as human beings, you know, that's the fun part about our our job. It's been
0: really, it's been really fun watching them because I just remember their first workouts and and kind of just seeing how they're, they come like, you know, it, it took, you know, three to four or five months. And then after three or four, I remember seeing them like sulking in there you know five thirty yeah. in the morning and then like it started being where they were pumped to be there they were they were like happy to see they're still you know 18 year olds 19 years old they're like this is early but just seeing like you know seeing how they were just happy to be there and I think that's such a big part of it you know it's kind of like you said like get off the range get on the golf course get creative learn to score like make that the foundation of it and make competition fun make the workouts fun not that there it's not something that they have to do because that's right. how we require our program to do or because we want you to hit it further or whatever. But seeing them transform from like this is an obligation to then a privilege, I think, was a huge transition I saw that team go through. And maybe that bleeds into
2: everything else. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think a lot of that is, you know, I know our assistant coach comes, comes every once in a while. But we try to, we try to limit that to, to just the team a team time mm. where it's just the team bonding. And the coach in there and, you know, unique things happen when coaches aren't there. And I think that's important. Coaches don't have to be at everything, shouldn't be at everything. And I think, you know, you need to allow the growth of the team to mature because then you start to see the leaders, you know, come out and who's going to push who and who's going to sit in the back or who's going to be, who's going to be the guy that challenges someone else or challenges the team to, to become better. And, and so I think, you know, for me, because in my early coaching career, I was, a, you know, every single thing our team did, I was there, you know, when I was coaching the women, I was leading the, the, the workouts. And I, I've, I've matured in my coaching in the fact that the team needs that time together when I'm not there, because when the head coach shows up, Dynamics are different, mm-hmm. right? Some guy, some guy's very careful because he just played really bad in the tournament. Some guy's really careful because he was late. Some guy knows that I'm not happy with him because he missed a, a tutoring session. You know, and so all of a sudden, the mind goes off of what the challenge is and what they're trying to achieve at that moment, and it goes beyond that and it goes to what's coach thinking. What's he, what's he saying? What, you know, what's going to be, what's he going to say to me? I, you know, I don't want this to happen. And so all, they've lost focus. Right.
1: Yeah, I love and, that. And it's
0: like you're building so much autonomy in these guys and that's really what it's about as a college coach. You're preparing them for life.
2: Trying to prepare them for life. I mean, it, it's like, with what we're going through right now. And, and I told him, I said, look guys, no one has ever gone through anything like this. We don't know what this means. We don't know how we're going to come out of this. We don't know if if society is going to be the same ever, and it may not. And and you can't prepare for the the anomalies, the things that you can never expect. But what you can do is you can make sure your foundational things are true to who you are, right? Mm-hmm. What do you believe in? What are you doing? What's your work ethic like? How How are you going to make your... Make yourself better through this process, and it's just—it's just part of you becoming a better person and understanding how you're going to develop and be the great player that you want to be and the better person that you want to be, and—and and that's foundational to who we are as a program at UCLA.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a, that's great. All right. Finishing question. So you have you have uh, three choices here. You're gonna you're gonna you, let's say you drive up to Riviera Country Club and you get the option to get a lesson from anybody in the world alive or dead could be in golf or outside of the golf world take a lesson from go play a 10 holes with and have a beer with afterwards who are those three people
2: i would say a lesson who would i want a lesson from well i'm bros with sean foley so i i I would like you know, it probably wouldn't end up being a golf lesson. You know, we'd have, <laughs> that's for we'd sure. Have a, we'd have a, a philosophy <laughs> um, lesson out on the range, it, you know, and it would last probably three to four hours. Yeah. But, at
0: least um, we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he, he's awesome. Yeah.
2: He's a peach. I love that guy. It's funny. I met him on a, in a random, random situation. So here I am, at a first year head women's coach at the NAI level. And he is in Canada still teaching um, an assistant golf, uh, assistant uh, head pro somewhere. And we both uh, are in San Antonio for this golf mindset workshop, uh, golf psych class. Yeah. There's like six people. Yeah, <laughs> John,
0: John, John Stabler and Deborah Graham. Yeah.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And, and so Sean and I, you know, are there together and we are just, you know, in our infancy of starting our careers really. And to see what's happened with him and, and to see what I've done, you know, we still talk about the fun, the the fun, great times uh, that we had that weekend and we stayed in touch ever since he spoke to the team, you know, he's out here for Riv. Uh, I love the guy. He's, he's, we just texted yesterday. You know, he's just a, he's just a, a great guy. So, you know, for me, a golf lesson, you know, It's not going to change much, right? At my age, I don't know that my swing is going to change. So I spend time who would I want to play with? Wow. There's so many different ways you could go, right? But I'll just keep it pretty simple. I would like to play with Seve Ballesteros. I loved Mm -hmm. Seve Ballesteros. Watching, Watching him, you know, Max of the age, or he's, not a, he's not as old as I am, but he loved Seve, obviously. <laughs> um, and I just, something about how he was and how he enjoyed the game and how magical he was with his hands. You know, there's a, there's a saying that we have, having Spanish hands, mm-hmm. um, and it comes from him, you know, just what he can do what a fun four hours that would be, you know, I I would love to do that. Yeah. And then your last one was, who would I like to have a beer with? Yeah. Who would I like to have a beer with? I would say Warren Buffett. Mm. I would love to spend some time with him. I've met Charlie Munger. He obviously lives here in LA, but it's out of the golf realm, right? Warren Buffett. But his knowledge and his experience and his wisdom i mean you just couldn't soak up enough of that yeah bill gates would be interesting as well yeah um yeah i well, think those guys uh, have such uh interesting takes on life it'd be fun and enjoyable to yeah. spend time with those guys
1: He might. he might be having having a coke at the same time as well yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah <laughs> i'd probably have a glass of wine yeah, <laughs> you guys get beer and you're gonna like it. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the
2: time, Derek. It was awesome. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for your hard work. Thanks for what you're doing for golf and giving back and 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 putting in the time and the effort. You know, we need guys like you in this business. We need guys like you who work hard and and are trying to do things the right way. And and we just you know, it's good. This industry needs it.
0: Thank you, coach. Thanks for the opportunity and privilege and you guys stay safe and, you know, keep that, keep that family sane in the household there.
2: Same with you guys, right? Yeah. Be safe through this. Yeah, really appreciate you. it. Take All care. Bye-bye right, bye. coach. Bye. Yeah. Bye.